Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast with your host, Kat Robinson. You're listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast for vet nurses where we tell our story. I'm your host, Kat Robinson. Vet nursing is definitely not an easy job. It can be physically, mentally and emotionally demanding. And yet for most of us, we absolutely love it. We're passionate about what we do. So when it comes to vet nurses, who are we? How do we achieve greatness in our work? And some days, how do we even manage? What unites us as a group and what sets us apart from other people? Radio Vet Nurse is our way to start a dialogue around these questions and to create a space where we can tell our story. Each episode, you'll hear from a different vet nurse about their personal experiences in life and in vet nursing. In this episode, you'll hear from a British vet nurse named Rebecca who travels the world as a locum. Not only is Becca a vet nurse, she's also a dive master, and sometimes she's able to combine these skills. My husband and I own a vet surgery in far north Queensland, and Rebecca's resume found its way to my inbox. I was amazed to read her work and volunteer history. It spanned the United Kingdom, Europe, Australia, Southeast Asia, and included a camel sedation and treatment of infected wound, a dental procedure on a lioness, post-mortem of a water buffalo, enema of an elephant. Obviously, I had to meet her, and so do you. This ability to travel the world with our work is a really cool part of our story. The way vet nursing can take us on adventures all over the world, if only we're brave enough to put ourselves out there, like Becca. Hey, Becca, welcome to Radio Vet Nurse. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. Now, um, I'm just going to dive on in and get started. And the first thing I want to know is, do you listen to podcasts? I do. Um, only as of about a year ago, I always listened to audiobooks before that. Yeah. But I wanted something a bit shorter and more variety. So yep. I started listening to podcasts last year and I just, I love them now. Yes, they're addictive, aren't <laughs> yeah, they? Yeah, I just, on my way to work every day, just yep. listen to something. Yeah. <laughs> what are your favorite ones or do you have a few different genres or yeah um I like to mix it up depends what mood I'm in but probably my favorite one right now is um where do we begin by Esther Perel and it, it oh it's so good yeah. it's really good it's um kind of like you listen in on a counseling session and it's this it's always the same counselor Esther and she does family counseling, relationship counseling, and every episode is different. And usually it's a bit of a different situation, but it's so interesting. And just listening to her kind of open the lines of communication, because yeah. working with animals, like we don't really have to deal with people as much mm -hmm. as nurses. And so mm -hmm. it's so interesting. It really makes you look at things a different way. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, yeah, I get a lot from it. I think it's really nice. Are these people who have agreed to have their sessions recorded? Yeah, wow. but the names are changed and, you know, they, they make it so that you can't necessarily know who they are. But yeah. it's just, it's very moving, yeah. very emotive and I really like it. <laughs> wow. I'll have to write that one down or yeah. listen back. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes there's just more podcasts, you know, that I have time to listen to. Always, yeah. yeah. But I'm still always like on the lookout. If someone's like, this is great. I'm like, what? Yeah. What is it? That one. And then the other one is uh, Stuff You Should Know. Yes, I love that. Oh, I love that one. <laughs> have you heard the giraffe one? No. Oh, give it a listen. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was listening to it yesterday afternoon. I was listening to the P.T. Barnum episode. Oh, I don't think Barnum I've called Circus. that one. Yeah. Okay. I just love that show. Yeah. It's yeah. just, they're so funny as well. Yeah, they are. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I dig it too. Well, that's cool. Now, this is going to be a tricky question for you to answer because I know you're a bit of a gypsy, but where are you from and where do you currently live? So I'm from England, uh, but I've been on the road about four and a half years now. Wow. Yeah, I've just been moving all over. Right now I'm in Australia, just doing my work and travel visa. Mm -hmm. And I'm about six months in and I'm living in the Tablelands, Atherton. Yeah. Excellent. And do you want to describe your sort of living in between two places? You know the one I'm really interested <laughs> oh, in. Oh, yeah. Can of you course, describe sorry. her? Um, yeah. So we're traveling, my boyfriend and I were traveling around the country in a camper van slash miniature motorhome. Um, and her name is Betsy. She's Betsy. a 1986 Daihatsu Delta X tipper truck. 
now retired and our little motorhome. She's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> She's baby blue and she doesn't go more than 80 kilometers an hour. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, but we love her so much and yeah. she's just the best. And she's got us all the way up from Sydney so far yeah. and hopefully is going to take us back down to Melbourne. Yeah, she's a good girl. You'll be so sad when you have to unpack all of your stuff and pull your photos down and... Oh, you have like a little going away party or farewell party. <sighs> we'll have to. We'll have to have like a little house party inside or yeah. something. Like people try to buy her offers all the time. Yeah. Will um, you sell her before you go? Yeah, we'll have yeah. to. Um, but it'll be really sad. Oh, dear. <laughs> You'll always have your memories. I know. We've And we've just got – I just take photos every day. Yeah. Every day another photo because yeah. she's just the best. Yeah. I really dig her. She's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, very good and how did you get your foot in the door with vet nursing um well probably similar to a lot of vet nurses I actually initially wanted to be a vet (laughs) and I you know did all the experience and I had a place at uni ready to go and then failed at the last hurdle and didn't get my exam results Mm -hmm. and so on the day I had to decide between redoing everything and they, I'd already called the schools. They said they probably wouldn't accept that anyway or do an animal-based degree and then reapply. So was this, sorry, redo everything from high school or some bridging mm. place between high school and uni? Yeah, we have to do A-levels. Yeah, so okay. those two years, 16 to 18, Yeah, um, we, you do A-levels and then um, you just basically have to pass those with straight A's, as I'm mm-hmm. sure everyone knows. Um, mm-hmm. And I had all the work experience and everything, but... Mm-hmm. I made the mistake of having five part-time jobs at the same Mm. time as my A-levels, saving up for uni. Um, And yeah, I just didn't get the grades. Mm -hmm. So I just decided not to redo it all. But um, I looked at all the degrees available because we have um, clearing. So anything available, you just see it in the newspaper and you decide if you want to take it. Mm -hmm. And there was vet nursing at the Royal Veterinary College. And I'd never even considered nursing because I'd always just thought I'm going to be a vet and then um I knew it was at the Royal Vet College so I was like okay well at least I'd maybe have my foot in the door and I chose that one and it's funny I went out and had no idea what what nursing was about or anything and I just joined the course and and then it just kind of went from there and I just grew to really love nursing Mm. and really appreciate nurses and everything they do Mm. and I realized that I didn't need to go back and do medicine now because I'm Mm. quite satisfied as a nurse. (laughs) That's great. And is it like a degree over there? Is that what the qualification is? There's two options. So there's on the job, same as here, um, where you can do it over a few years and they pay for your tuition and you get kind of like a diploma Mm -hmm. and you're a qualified vet nurse. Or you can do it as a degree level. We were actually the first the pilot year to do it just at the Royal Vet College. Mm -hmm. They used to be joint with another university. Um, And you basically do a three-year degree and that gives you your qualification as a vet nurse. And if you do one more year, then you get a Bachelor of Science degree, which I enrolled on because I wanted to use that for a future degree. Um, But yeah, I I just really enjoyed it. It's, It's different, two different ways of doing it. If you do it on the job, it's a lot more practical mm-hmm. um usually you would just stay in one practice the whole time mm-hmm. and then no, most of the time you'd work there afterwards or you can do it at university and we get sent out to do about two and a half thousand hours in practice wow um and it's all unpaid and obviously we have to pay our tuition so yep. you come out with a lot more um debt and then you um but you go out to all different places so you get sent out on placements yeah and i think that's kind of like, for me, it was a great way to set myself up for future work because I was ready to go out to different places all the time. Yeah. And you nice. sort of continued that trend with your locuming. Haven't yes. You? <laughs> yeah. I've actually never, never worked in one place like properly, like took on a, a proper job and stayed. So was that by design? Like when you graduated, did, were you looking for a permanent job or were you just ready to, you'd been in one place for a while and you were... Yeah, I just... I mean, because we'd been sent to so many placements, I was very used to just walking in and, and just introducing myself and work starting afresh. But I had also, I've always been a real traveler. And so I'd always like squeezed in trips 
at university any holiday I had I would work extra hours at the vets so that I could have more holiday time and things yeah. it drove my tutors mad I think um <laughs> and so as soon as I qualified I was like okay the mm. the chains are off and yeah, I just yeah. and then after that I just would travel a good few months of the year and then work the rest in mm. London um and just do that because London's such a great spot to travel from mm. um and yeah and that just set me up and I love locoming. I just think it's a really great way to work. Yeah, and it's such a good occupation for doing that, oh, for yeah. working and traveling and picking up work wherever. Totally. You can just pack up and leave and, and go around the world and come back and no one minds. Yeah. <laughs> There's not many jobs like that. And things haven't changed too much, you know. You've still got the, the crash kit where it last was. And <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> injectables um, where they were before and... Yeah, yeah. totally. Oh, that's awesome. And... And so you're currently still locoming. So you you must have so many different jobs where what you do varies from day to day. But what's your, your role that you're doing at the moment or, you know, the nursing roles that you've been doing within Australia? What sort of what, what sort of tasks and roles are you sort of filling in for? Um, I would say it's very similar to the UK. Yeah. You know, my usual day would start with um, admitting all the patients, getting them ready for surgery, um, prepping dealing with all the inpatients as well, all the treatments and taking care of them. It's very, very similar to the UK, I'd say. Mm -hmm. The only difference I would probably think of is we get such a difference in species that come in, Mm -hmm. lots of marsupials and interesting things. And every time I'm always the first one running out like, oh, can I, can I take care of it? Mm -hmm. Or what is that? Is that in Australia you get? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, In the UK, it's a bit more, a bit more standard cats and dogs and small domestics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know that I noticed you stopped off at Australia Zoo on mm. your way out, probably to satisfy that kind of like, <laughs> yeah. oh, look after it. What is it? Yeah, <laughs> completely. I mean, ever since I started nursing, my I always dreamt of nursing large exotics. Yep. So I often would, um, whenever I did travel, it would tend to be to Asia and places like that to work with elephants. Mm-hmm. They're, they're my favorite, um, <laughs> and just anything. It, like exotic and yeah. yeah just beautiful animals and yeah I did um a lot of work in the zoos back home too just just to try to get in with different species yeah. and and learn a bit more and try to figure out what I want to do eventually yeah yeah you know in Australia they have um carers who look after a yeah. lot of the injured sort of yeah we get wallabies and, brought yeah. in and, and it's like oh it's just a carer's looking after it I was like oh I want to be a carer yes. that's so cool yes they're amazing people and <laughs> we have one carer that comes in a lot and you know often she'll just have something like in her pocket or like strapped mm. to her and you're like what is it <laughs> yeah I saw this girl the other day and she just had a woolly hat and there was a baby wallaby in there <laughs> so cute yeah <laughs> beautiful very good and for you wherever you are locoming and nursing around the world what's the best part of the job for you I think probably what took me most by surprise um when I first came went into nursing there was a big part of me that was like oh I've got to do this to get to be a vet. Mm -hmm. But then once I really grew to love the job, I found the thing I loved most was the actual nursing, if you know what I mean. So, you know, when you you come in in the morning and there's a patient in like a a dirty bed Mm. and and they look unhappy and Mm. and their drip line is beeping and Mm. they and but that moment once you've kind of got them out and you've you've made a fresh bed and you've put them back in and they're Mm. comfortable and. And it's just such a wonderful feeling just yeah. knowing that you're, it's the little details. It's mm. not just diagnosing and seeing what treatment they get. Mm. It's the things in between. It's the making sure their temperature's okay and that they're comfortable and yeah. giving them sponge baths and <laughs> massaging them. And it's all the little things yeah. that give you so much satisfaction. Yes. And I think that's like how I know I like being a vet nurse. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you can give them really simple reassurance and just make sure that they've got their teddy and tuck mm-hmm. them in and yeah. get their blanket that's been brought in from their mum. Yeah, and exactly. Like, oh, and you're like, well, I know they that's they didn't eat because I know they like chicken. Yeah. <laughs> you should have asked me. I knew. <laughs> yeah. And you get to build that rapport and yeah. I guess not necessarily be the person that's performing the invasive yeah. testing or having mm. to think 
purely you know disease some of the time Mm -hmm. you get to be the person that's the thing that I love is um, nursing intervention plans so we'll often draw up this is the disease and this Mm -hmm. is the workup but then as nurses we draw up around that Mm -hmm. well okay if part of the treatment is being on a drip then part of our intervention plan is regular walks Mm -hmm. so that they can empty their bladder or checking Mm -hmm. the bedding or putting a blueies under them just really simple things like you said those tiny details and if you've ever been in hospital yourself and somebody goes to that effort to make you feel less scared and warm it's everything it's taking that extra five minutes to kind of sit with them and stroke them before Mm. you do stuff with them and you know having the time to do that as well because you don't always get the time um but when you do, it's just so worthwhile. And seeing a case as well from beginning to end mm. and walking it, watching it walk out after mm. it was carried in, you mm. know, it's just, there's not really anything like it. It's very rewarding, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? And do you also, I mean, it's very different to, as you would have discovered when you graduated, the role that nurses as opposed to vets have sometimes with owners as well. Like, I mean, I, I find that... Uh, there's a big difference in being almost like the, the interpreter for the owner and being able to have that role in explaining, you know, when they come out of the consult room, just looking like, what? Mm-hmm. And you can be like, okay, well, this is what's happening. Yeah. Or, you know, you can be ringing them saying, yep, I've tucked them in and they're, they're all comfortable. Definitely. Thanks for bringing in the teddy. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a totally different mm-hmm. um, sort of set of skills, but, you know, a set of duties. And a yeah. lot of it, I think, probably is a lot more warm and fuzzy and rewarding yeah. immediately. Like, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And the owners definitely respond to you in a different way. I mean, sometimes they don't take what you say as seriously because mm, you're not the vet. But right. at the same time, I would say they're very comforted when you give them like, you know, oh, they ate today yeah. or they went to the toilet by themselves yeah. or these little things. Yeah. And they know that you were there for that. So yes. they feel very comforted by that. Yeah, very mm. grateful mm-hmm. as any of us when we have any of our pets minded by someone. Absolutely. Yeah. So. yeah. And... I guess it's, again, a little bit different possibly for you um, because you're, a, you know, a gypsy vet nurse, as I told you. <laughs> but what's your routine when you wake up in the morning and how do you set yourself up for the day? Mm. Yeah, this one is tricky, I think, because I haven't had any kind of routine in so many years now. Mm. Um, I think my main thing is I don't do snoozing. <laughs> I don't oh. snooze the alarm. I set it for the time I want to wake up and uh-huh. and I get up and then I will usually just get up straight away and I'm yeah. a, very much a morning person. Yeah. Um, but, I, but don't talk to me. <laughs> like I'm yeah. a morning person by myself for sure. <laughs> um, and I'll get up and every day we'll always start with a coffee. Um, oh, yes. And if it's not, if I'm not working, then it's a decaf, but it's got to start with something. Yeah. I've got to have that warm cup in my yeah. hands. How um, soon into the coffee can you talk or be spoken to? <laughs> oh, usually by the time I've made it, I'm, I'm a bit more human. Yeah. Smelling it and you're like, yeah. it's coming, it's happening. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that is important to me is, if possible, I love walking to work. Yeah. That's really a great way for me to start the day. It just clears my mind. Mm-hmm. I can think about, okay, right, this is the patient from yesterday or, or even nothing to do with work. You know, I think, mm. okay, I've got to call my mom this evening or just gives me that like half hour or whatever to really just think, get myself ready mentally yeah. for work and the day. Yeah. Or podcast in. Yeah, actually that's true. What should I know the- about giraffes? <laughs> Done. I can exactly. face the day. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think having that half hour before work, like, like I say, walking in, there's been mm-hmm. many jobs where I have to, you know, get the tube or the bus and it's hectic and by the time I get there I'm not in that right frame of mind yeah so if possible I always recommend just get a bit of fresh air yes and just walk walk walk. (laughs) and did something happen to you with the snooze thing like I feel (laughs) are you okay I feel like there must be some sort of like traumatic event that happened with snoozing and missing work Uh, I think it's like I don't mind one snooze and the next one's like 10 minutes later but it's when people snooze every 10 minutes yeah. for an hour or two yeah. and I'm thinking that's an hour I could have been sleeping mm-hmm. like well mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I just think you know if you need an hour get up an hour earlier yeah. if you only need 15 minutes get up. Yeah. because I'm very much a person that gets up makes their coffee gets dressed and goes yeah, yeah. try and sleep as long as possible yeah <laughs> and I've been in that 
that snooze trap before where your half asleep brain's like, mm. hey, I'll just have another 10 minutes and mm-hmm. I will just have a really quick shower. Mm-hmm. And then it comes around again and you're like, hey, I just won't eat breakfast or like, <laughs> I'm just not going to brush my hair today. Yeah. Hey, bam, got another 10 minutes. Yes. <laughs> but it really, it's, it doesn't get you anywhere. No. Because it's not good sleep. As you said, no, you're not getting into a proper sleep constantly cycle. constantly disrupted. And yeah. every time I'm like, what time is it? And then I look yeah. at it and I'm like, okay, it's okay. And yeah. I just, I would rather just sleep properly. Yeah. And then wake up and be like, okay, now it's time to get up. <laughs> I can't think of a situation that it's actually really a good thing to have the uh-huh. snooze button like now that I think about it like get rid of it <laughs> yeah Damn snoozing. I know I know it's just I think it's pointless I'd yeah. rather just I, I'm not the best at getting to sleep but once I'm there yeah, done. <laughs> yeah I'm done yeah. <laughs> I don't need to wake up till I have to wake up yeah I had an alarm once on my phone that would I, you'd put the phone on, on your mattress and it would measure your your sleep mm. patterns and how deeply asleep mm-hmm. you were. And you gave it a window. Like I want to be awake between here and here. And it would measure when you were light, like when you were coming out of a deep sleep and oh. wake you up then. And that oh, was wow. pretty cool. But now, now I just have like a one-year-old Did- waking me up. <laughs> so like, I'm like alarm. What? Did you find that like having the app, helped at all or yeah you woke up fresh you never you never were pulled out of a really deep sleep Mm. so it was never difficult you were always like oh yeah I'm ready okay yeah and now you've got a light yeah that's it I don't need an alarm I'm like oh what a luxury (laughs) to set your alarm to be woken up yeah if only I could snooze (laughs) yeah that's it yeah so oh very good now what weekly or daily habit, aside from walking to work, makes your life better? Um, I think two things, really. I, definitely not daily, but as often as I can, exercising. And yep. I know that's a real cliche and everyone says that, but it's with our job, you can't help but sometimes bring it home with you yes. or like, you know, the stress of the day. And yeah. we're on our feet the entire day, mm-hmm. like we all know except for lunchtime which often doesn't happen mm-hmm. by the time you get home your feet are aching your ankles are aching and your knees and the last thing you feel like doing is going for a run around the, the neighborhood but when you do it just clears your mind mm-hmm. and I feel like once I get back from exercising then I can just that's it I'm good I'm guilt-free I can have dinner and I can and I sleep so much better absolutely um so I highly recommend that um even when you don't feel like it Mm. which is every time for me Mm. um and the other thing is just having some me time Mm. (laughs) you know just just like that half hour when you get home Mm -hmm. just to sit down Mm. maybe read something or just just a bit of quiet time because the days can be so hectic yeah when I was a lot busier living in the city and working and playing music. I used to put it in me time in my diary mm-hmm. to, so that I couldn't say yes to someone. So if someone was like, can you catch up for dinner or can you do whatever? If everything was looking really full for that week and I'd blocked out a little bit of time, mm-hmm. I would just pretend it was like, like a dentist appointment or something that I couldn't miss yeah. and just be like, no, sorry. Wow. That's really good of you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm the same. And, and I don't know if it comes from being a little bit of an introvert or something like that too. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have me time to just recharge, you just, mm-hmm. especially in our job too, when you're just kind of giving yourself absolutely yeah all day and mm-hmm. yeah dealing so. with people with animals with mm-hmm. colleagues constantly sometimes mm-hmm. you're just like i just want to deal with me mm. <laughs> it's so nice is that hard to do in betsy um yes <laughs> what we often will do is like i'll grab the beach mat and go sit mm-hmm. on the grass and mm-hmm. just just play the ukulele or, well, that doesn't happen often enough but that's cool <laughs> no have I'm, you been playing for long not very long and I really rarely play I probably shouldn't even have mentioned it but <laughs> I try um and I hope I'll play more soon but yeah it's just it's a bit difficult when your house is about two meters by one meter but and we should mention that you're sharing your house with your partner yeah. as well <laughs> and and do, he's six foot two. Yeah, yeah, he's not like a small guy. Um, and do you jam on ukulele and guitar together? We tried once. Amazing. He's way better on the guitar than I am on the ukulele. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we tried once and it just ended up me just strumming once for every like four chords he would do. But yeah. we made it work. Yeah. And, yeah. So you're not taking that show on the road anytime soon. I don't think anyone would want to hear that. <laughs> it's just for you guys. Yes. Yeah. Just, a, just an us thing right now. And does he like having his 
time to himself too. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Definitely. It's definitely. important, I think, for how compatible you are with someone. Oh, completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I didn't realize till the last few years that how important it is to take some time for yourself yes. because I, I just never thought I needed it before. It didn't occur to me to take yeah. it. It's only since living in Asia the last few years and really spending some time on, on myself that I kind of realized you've, you've got to work on yourself all the time Yeah, and having that time to yourself, like yeah. to relax and, mm-hmm. and just think about what you want to think about in that yeah. moment. It's, yeah really good for you (laughs) yeah and in how have you been working on yourself like solitude and travel or have you been doing any other work in a more structured sort of way I'd say having a lot of time to myself um when I was living there you'd have your own house and you know you'd work with people all day and then you'd get home and it was just kind of realizing that you don't need to fill your time all the always yes you know you can it's okay to have blocks of time and Mm -hmm. Just I was re- trying to read some books and things, mm-hmm. and re- because I was meeting a lot of people that just seemed so centered and mm. just like just at one with themselves, as as mm-hmm. cheesy as that sounds. And I would always think, oh, well, I guess that's just who they are as a person. Yeah. But then the more people I came into contact with, and the more time I spend with them, I realized it's, that's not it. You know, mm. you've you've got to work hard to kind of get that calm and Mm -hmm. and to feel like you know yourself and know what you want Mm -hmm. you've got to work on it absolutely yeah no one tells you that no (laughs) you know you think oh that's just I'm just not like that but yeah everyone is if you just work on it that's it and you hear words like authenticity and being grounded and Mm -hmm. they sort of mean nothing until exactly you just find yourself next to someone that Mm -hmm. makes like I feel like scattered loopy kind of unit sometimes next to like super grounded people and I'm like I want what they're having (laughs) how are they so cool about everything but yeah Yeah. it it does take time to be able to invest in yourself and to Mm -hmm. be able to slow everything down and I guess if you're working in in Asia as well you don't have your usual friendship group necessarily and you know you Mm -hmm. know your usual hobbies or family or other commitments you can Mm -hmm. just totally devote the time to yourself yeah yeah exactly and you can just like I started new hobbies and Mm -hmm. just literally thinking what do I want to do Mm -hmm. and and I also always had this, I felt like I just couldn't stop thinking classic problem for everyone, you know, mm-hmm. you're thinking all the time and, mm-hmm. and it didn't occur to me that you could change that, mm. you know, and it's exhausting. And mm-hmm. I kind of read a few books and, and I realized that, you know, you, it is possible to switch off the mm-hmm. thinking brain and just allow it to rest. Mm. And oh, it's, I'm still working on it, but mm. it's a really nice thing to be able to do. Can you recommend any of those books that you can think of at the moment? Um, probably the the best one would be um, The Power of Now. Yep. Um, Eckhart Tolle, I think. Yeah. So, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, that one really was amazing. Um, I read that when I was in Malaysia and I was on this tiny island, pretty much. There were six of us that lived there all year round and we were very close, but you know, you feel quite remote there. And I had this book and it just was amazing. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's read it hopefully would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. There are parts that don't speak to you at all, but there are parts that you read and you just think, wow, yeah, mm. that's amazing. <laughs> and obviously life changing and a really good switch to find in your own mind mm. because yeah, sometimes it just can be mm-hmm. absolutely overwhelming and mm-hmm to find that quiet and to be able to control that is a really mm-hmm. a gift. Yeah. And mm. you don't realize how loud everything is mm. and until someone says it is possible to switch it off and you're mm. like, wow, is it? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. great. And, and I guess it's probably a good time to discuss, like you've been traveling in Australia and you've been traveling with Warren for how long now? Um, we've been traveling together about a year and a half. And you, you met in Asia and mm-hmm. how long were you in Asia and give us a rough rundown of some of those countries. I know Malaysia and Thailand kind of featured pretty big there. And yeah. Um, well, I first left the UK to move to Berlin mm-hmm. and I lived there for a year and a half. Um, just wanting to learn German and work in a vets there. What, sorry, were you just stepping into vet nursing roles with no German under your belt? And <laughs> No, no, no. Um, well, I had no German when I moved there, but I, I enrolled in a school okay. and did that for about seven months. Mm-hmm. And it was like five days a week, four okay. or five hours a day. And I got yeah. a couple of little part-time jobs to try to practice. Yeah, And I just got to a certain point in winter in Berlin, um, which is really cold. 
And I just thought, I've got to go work in events right now. Otherwise, I've got to leave. I can't keep mm-hmm. doing everything else. And I managed to find a practice that hired me and they were lovely. But they were. it was very much like, you know, you it's going to be German all the time. Mm. And it was the first couple of weeks I felt like I was drowning, absolutely oh drowning. Because I thought my German was okay at that point. But it's not, nothing to do with veterinary terminology. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, and this practice you would it was a little bit old-fashioned in that the nurse would be in every consultation with the mm-hmm. vet mm-hmm. and the but the nurse would be writing up the notes whilst they're consulting oh i would call that like modern in australia that's must be must be an idea that is obviously um i guess the writing of the notes during mm-hmm. i thought was a good idea because mm-hmm. the vet can't do it at the same time yeah um i think when i said old-fashioned i think just more in the sense that we never seem to be in consults anymore because it's always just us holding the animal yes when i first started that's yeah. kind of how it was and now yeah. the nurses are more useful out back i guess yeah, yeah um but listening trying to listen to them talk and hold the animal and write the notes in mm. german was just oh my gosh nuts <laughs> and like answering the phone trying to make like appointments and understand people's problems when you yeah. can't see their expressions or their body language it's really tough (laughs) but then you just I don't know something switches and you don't care about making mistakes as much anymore Mm -hmm. um so I did that for a few more months after that and then I decided to head to Asia Mm -hmm. after that so I moved to Thailand and I did my dive master because Mm -hmm. I wanted to work with marine species Mm -hmm. and that takes like no, it should only take about six weeks, but uh, I had a couple of moped accidents. <laughs> what? Yes, <Yeah>, classic <laughs> in Thailand. Oh, um, no. Yeah. Were they um, serious? No, no, not compared to other people's. Uh, the f- a just couple. Lots of you got back on. It's not like get I back know. on the horse. Get back on the moped in, in Asia is not the same as get back on the I horse. Know. I don't feel like there's any winners there. <sighs> yeah, I did. A month later as well. So oh. I got back, I had one day of diving. Um, and it means you're out of the water when yeah. you're scraped up. Um, yeah. So I had to wait to finish my dive master. And then I had another accident. Um, <laughs> anyway, eventually I finished it and... Uh, I worked for a few months and then I heard about the job in Malaysia. So I moved to Malaysia for six months Yeah, um, and I was running the sea turtle hatchery mm-hmm. for the conservation team. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing job. And then that was great because it combined the dive master with the veterinary side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, they originally wanted a marine biologist, but mm-hmm. obviously I'm not one. Um, mm-hmm. But they, they took my application anyway and I kind of put a vet nurse spin on it by mm-hmm. creating a um, little rehabilitation center for the the injured turtles or any hatchlings that weren't ready to be wow. released, which was great. And just kind of set up a little protocol, very like, not like um, lots of equipment or anything like yeah. that, but just very basic. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was amazing. Mm-hmm. And they just gave you free reins, you know, whatever you think is best. And mm-hmm. that was an amazing position. Just looking on your little list of jobs that I've got from your resume now. So that was the Turtle Watch Camp job, mm-hmm. was it? Yes. And this is probably a good time to mention that the reason that I'm sitting down with Rebecca is that her resume landed on my desk um, as she was traveling around Australia. She was sending her resume out because she and her partner were spending some time in my neck of the woods in far north Queensland. And my practice manager forwarded it to me and said hey I know we're not looking for a vet nurse at the moment but like this resume is amazing you need to see it and I read it and I was like someone needs to make a movie out of this resume like you just never see this and so that's when I I rang Becca and said hey I don't need a vet nurse but I'd love to come and chat to you I'd love you to to be a guest on my podcast just because um, these jobs are so interesting and so were you when you said it combined like the dive master as well, were you mm-hmm. actually diving mm-hmm. as part of it? And yeah, what, doing um, like counting how many there were or? No, funnily enough, I didn't see a single turtle <gasps> whilst diving on this island, which is crazy because oh. I released about almost 3,000 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was more, um, it was a lot of data collection and we would go and look at the reefs and we would do net removals, mm-hmm. um, underwater cleanups. Mm-hmm. Um, and just things like that. I mean, a lot of my diving was to do like fish, uh, species identification mm-hmm. and counting and surveys and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But a lot of it was fun diving because they, it was a very small place and I could just 
grab the equipment and go whenever I wanted. And it was the most perfect place to dive. Mm -hmm. It was shallow and easy, no currents, beautiful, Mm -hmm. amazing visibility. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but a lot of the actual turtle work was on land because I was there for when they would nest and I would find the nests at nighttime. So we'd patrol the beaches um, five times over the day. Mm And uh, mostly they would come at night. So we'd have to go out at like 1 a.m., uh, 4 a.m. and 7 a.m. Every night? Every night. It's like having an Elijah. <laughs> You'll be fine. You'll be fine when it's you It's like the kids. worst snooze ever. Um, <laughs> no wonder. I told you something traumatic happened with snooze. That's yeah, exactly. it. <laughs> Luckily, we had uh, volunteers that would come to the island and yeah. um, we would share out the the shifts. But yeah. whenever a nest or tracks were found, they would have to come wake me up. Yeah. And then I would have to go out and and then we'd look to see if there was a nest because the turtles are very good at covering them up. Mm-hmm. And um, then we would dig with our hands because wow. you've got to be careful of those eggs. And you sometimes were there digging for hours and hours yeah. in the night. Like, How deep do they do they lay the eggs? Um, probably about three foot, four foot. Depends on the species because mm-hmm. we had two species of mm-hmm. turtle on the island. Um, and we would basically dig until we'd find the nest and Mm -hmm. it's like a chamber. And then we would, uh, we had a, like a cool box kind of thing with Mm us and we would take them out and we'd, uh, carefully, cause you can't rotate them, carefully put them into the cool box. And then we would take some of the surrounding sand Mm because that's, it's good to kind of keep the nest as the mother left it, so Mm -hmm. to speak. And then you move it to our hatchery, which was like a safe place where mm-hmm. we had um, netting built all around it because mm-hmm. on the island there were crazy monitor lizards and they're so fast and they would often beat us, mm. even though we were checking so often. And that's why you were bringing them in. Yeah, yeah. because of the crabs, the monitor lizards. We mm-hmm. had pig. Uh, we had one pig on the mm-hmm. island who swam across from the neighboring island. Um, oh, no. Had, yeah. Yeah, he, he must have just seen his opportunity. Um Lucky it was just him and not him and his girlfriend. That I know. Could have been catastrophic. Oh, oh my gosh, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we would protect the eggs and then mm-hmm. we would weigh them, measure them, count them. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of um, like data collection and mm-hmm. data analysis. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we just tried to get an idea of the. And we also would bring in eggs from other islands too, because mm-hmm. there were a lot of islands that were not protected. Yep. And the eggs were being taken by poachers because the local people would eat them. Yeah, it was a delicacy. What? Um, so very... poachers would come and get them and then sell them on the black market? Mm-hmm. Oh. Not even black. I mean, it's it's fairly oh, openly open. done, even oh. though there is a law in place, but it's very outdated and nobody enforces it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a couple of ex-poachers that mm-hmm. we, we now would hire and mm-hmm. they would bring us the eggs um, instead of taking them to the market. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was a great job. That <laughs> mm, sounds like an amazing job. And there are so many other um, volunteer positions and that sort of thing that you've done that we'll, we'll get into. I guess I want to know as well, do you have any strange habits or superstitions <laughs> aside from like, you know, not snoozing? <laughs> um, I was thinking about this one. I think the only one that actually it was Warren who suggested this because he... He was like, you're not that superstitious except when it comes to Betsy. <laughs> I, I won't have him say anything bad when we're even close to her <laughs> or if we're inside her, if we can't discuss selling her um, anything. I feel like we're jinxing the rest of our journey yeah. and I feel like she knows. Yeah. And it's funny because she's only ever broken down twice. Yeah. The two occasions I was allowed to drive. Mm. Like, I'm sure she doesn't like me driving. Yeah. Um, and FYI, it wasn't possible that I could have done that. It's like a fan belt and stuff, yeah, but yeah. coincidence. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit superstitious. I mean, when you look at her, you can see it. You can't help but personify yeah. her. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. And, <laughs> and, you know, and as I, I got to meet Betsy this afternoon and I also introduced Becca to our combi van, Gavin, and they do, <laughs> they've just become like an extra member of the family. <laughs> Betsy and Gavin, they'll probably be friends. Yeah, they are. They're probably having a chat down downstairs or enjoying Warren's serenade, musical serenade. <laughs> and... Can you think of a purchase made by you or any of your employers that has positively impacted your vet nurse life in recent memory? Um, I think as a locum, I'm never really around to kind of request things or Mm. see things, you know, come, come into the practice, but 
there's one or two things I really value and I one of them I think is simple but a bear hugger oh really (laughs) yeah like more and more practices are getting them now but like it's for I'm always very conscious of animals temperature especially Mm -hmm. after surgery Mm. and it makes me cringe if I see an animal like Mm. that's not being properly warmed up or something like that you know it should never get cold yeah yeah (laughs) if you can help it and a bear hugger is just the most effective way and so quick and Mm -hmm. I just I love them Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wish I could crawl inside one (laughs) I'll have to look into it because we do not have a bear hugger you don't oh my gosh but I'm all about warmth as well yeah and you know always you know checking the the temperature and the Mm -hmm. levels and I want it cranked Mm -hmm. when they're all post-operative because I've been in that position where you're just teeth chattering in hospital don't want to wake up like that no No, it's scary enough already yeah Yeah, and what else what else you said there's a couple of things um i'd say probably that and the other one would be digital x-ray but yes. most places have that now yes. but having worked in places that didn't mm-hmm. initially mm-hmm. oh gosh it's the best I know. <laughs> and it's so good too that there's allowances you know with exposures so mm-hmm. you, you're never going okay mm-hmm. that's overexposed let's do that again Absolutely. you can kind of just go Adding left right markers on yes. the old occasion yes um yeah it's it's absolutely changed things and mm-hmm. going on from that actually dental x-rays mm-hmm. um the last practice i worked in in the uk just got the machine when i was there wow. and i they trained me how to use it and it's amazing wow it's so great especially from a nursing perspective because obviously we can do the dentals um mm-hmm. minus the extractions but to be able to get animals in a bit younger, a mm-hmm. bit healthier, um, just for descales and things, mm-hmm. you know, and being able to quickly do a couple of x-rays mm-hmm. whilst they're under anaesthetic mm-hmm. to check there's nothing sinister going on. Yeah. It is a game changer. Totally. You know, without even having to take up anyone else's time. Mm. Um, and it can show when extractions are needed mm-hmm. when you otherwise would have no idea. Absolutely. Um, and it can show when the root is still there, mm-hmm. if it's been snapped off or anything like that. It's just incredible. I really like them. And so often teeth are borderline and you're kind of weighing up, you know, mm-hmm. well, are we going to get this dog in again in mm-hmm. a year or is this probably the only dental this dog's going to mm-hmm. have for the next few years, mm-hmm. you know, but but if is it a tooth that it's going to affect the whole mouth if we extract it so mm-hmm. i can see where dental x-ray would be great mm-hmm. and so what are you are you just bringing in a you know a, an x-ray machine and there's something that you put in the mouth or how does it work it's a well the ones i've seen it's a whole different machine mm-hmm. but it doesn't take up much space at all mm-hmm. it's a um, mobile machine it's kind of a bit taller than you are and it has a head that you pull down mm-hmm. and you just have to angle it and once you get taught how to do it, it's pretty straightforward mm-hmm. you just have to angle it at exactly the right angle into towards the teeth or mm-hmm. whatever you're trying to take and then you have a very small um and it's all digital as well and mm-hmm. it's a small little film and you put it inside the mouth depending mm-hmm. again where which ones you're taking mm-hmm. And then you just, it has a very tiny little processor as well. So it's like, Mm. it doesn't take up too much space in the practice. Um, And you get amazing views and you can do the Mm. whole jaw Mm -hmm. and it's great to show the owners as well. I was just thinking that. Really Mm. great. They like, Mm. it's really helpful, especially Mm -hmm. after a dental to be able to say, this is Mm. what the mouth looked like before. And this is what it looked like afterwards. Absolutely. And particularly to justify when you bring this poor little geriatric dog out that can no longer keep its tongue inside Mm. its mouth because it's had so many extractions Mm -hmm. and you're like, but look, it had to happen. Yes, exactly. And you know, the owners know what they're paying for. And it's also a great way to kind of keep an eye on teeth. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm like not invasive at all Mm -hmm. and it's there's as far as i know there's barely any scatter you know Mm -hmm. it's it's really really interesting the Mm -hmm. things that they're coming out with now absolutely and again it's one of these great things that if if the teeth look great it's another touch point with the owner where you Mm -hmm. get to say you know gold star for you because this is a fantastic result here Mm -hmm. you can see so Mm -hmm. um, not only identifying issues but identifying owners that have had great compliance with Mm -hmm. you know doing the right thing with be it dental bickies or brushing or whatever it is so I'm definitely gonna be googling bear huggers tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) and um, tell me about a time where you were able to turn defeat into victory and this could be in your personal life or a professional capacity Um, I'd say I probably have two examples for this Mm -hmm. um the first one probably the obvious where the defeat when I got those Mm -hmm. a-level results Mm -hmm. was a pretty low day for Mm me um and then you know I went into it into nursing not really feeling feeling like it was a defeat in a way Mm -hmm. 
but I feel victorious now because mm. it's taken me all over the world mm. and I love it mm-hmm. and I think it's a brilliant job to have. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that's probably the first one and the other one is a little different. Um, I mentioned those moped accidents. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one I decided uh, I couldn't just patch myself up and I ended up having to go to hospital uh, for about a week and Mm. I was in there and one of the days I was having my bandages changed there was somebody brought in and put in the bed next to mine and he had just had a moped accident shocking and he uh, told me that he had been working with sea turtles Mm -hmm. so I got his Facebook Mm -hmm. six months later I'm working in a hostel in Cambodia I've never heard from the guy I don't even know his name Mm -hmm. and he sends me a message saying there's a job going as for a dive master in this sea turtle hatchery Mm -hmm. which incidentally was the job that I got in Malaysia that's the turtle watch camp yeah oh my god so he'd like kind of recommended it to me and I applied for it and I feel like I had to have the second accident Mm. to kind of push myself to go to hospital and I can only feel like it's a silver lining because if I hadn't done that I would never have met him Mm. and even I remember he got wheeled out and I had to write it on a piece of paper my Facebook and Mm. ask one of the nurses to take it out and never heard from him for six months but it's just a perfect example of grabbing every opportunity that comes along you do have to don't you absolutely and that's definitely and that's just one of those sliding doors moments too where Mm -hmm. you're in what I can only imagine is the moped ward (laughs) because they must have a dedicated moped ward for western tourists (laughs) in every in in any good Thai hospital and yeah you just can't be scared there's been so many times that the minute someone mentions an exotic species or a a foundation in some country I'm Mm. always like oh, what's your Facebook? (laughs) Every time, because it always is the best thing to do. And maybe one in every hundred comes out like that. But that job was one in a million. Yeah, And there's a word for it and it's called networking. (laughs) And there's another word for, you know, your accident and being in that hospital. It's called destiny. (laughs) So I feel like that was a great outcome. Well, this is probably a really good time just to have a brief break. Don't go anywhere because after the break, we're going to get some of Becca's nursing advice and life advice and um, stay tuned. As vet nurses, we work closely with vets every day. We're a team. Sadly, vets have a really high rate of suicide, about four times the national average. Psychologist Dr. Nadine Hamilton has been researching wellbeing in vets and she's launched the Love Your Pet, Love Your Vet campaign in partnership with Royal Cannon. And it's so needed. The campaign is building public awareness about ways that client behaviour can contribute to burnout and suicide in vets. It's a big issue for vet nurses too. Let's face it, we're often on the front line of these challenging behaviours. To find out more about how we can reduce the stigma around seeking help and ways we can support not only our vets but also each other, head to loveyourpetloveyourvet.com.au. You can follow this campaign on Facebook and Insta too. And if this ad has brought up any issues for you, please call Lifeline on 13114. You can also reach out to Dr. Nadine for specialised support at positivepsychsolutions.com.au. All right, so we're back from the break and I'm just going to jump straight in to what advice would you give to someone about to enter the world of vet nursing? I think always try to keep your interest alive because the minute you've kind of lost your interest and your motivation in the job, then you're not going to care as much. And that's just not what nursing is about. Absolutely. I see a lot of nurses that kind of just get into the rhythm of it and and almost stop being interested when a new condition comes in or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, I think just try to stay interested any way you can. You know, if that's going home and studying in the evening or, you know, looking something up or asking the vet to detail what it's about or anything really, just try to keep that interest alive and... I think that's the best way to always stay motivated in the job. Um, And the other thing would be just to remember your worth as a vet nurse Mm -hmm. and don't ever feel obligated or feel like you owe an employer or a place something. You know, if you don't feel comfortable or you're unhappy, there's going to be somewhere that will make you happy because in the job that we have, you've got to be you've got to feel comfortable in your in your work and I think 
a lot of nurses don't realize how much they're worth to a practice mm. as a person and mm-hmm. and how important their job is and I wish I'd known that right at the beginning mm, <laughs> it takes a while to learn that but the vet nurse is the heart of the business absolutely mm-hmm. so important mm. and often the face of the business mm. and often the same reoccurring face even if people are seeing different vets if they're mm-hmm. seeing the same nurses and mm. yeah so yeah knowing your worth as a vet nurse and and how valuable you are I think is really important too and mm-hmm. probably gives you that confidence as yeah, well to, absolutely yeah, yeah. And what advice would you give to a student vet nurse who's maybe struggling a bit with their studies? I think a classic one, which is just persist. Mm. I mean, I remember when I was studying and I felt like I would hear people talk at work or I'd hear my tutors talk and I felt like it was a different language. Mm. I was like, what does that word mean? Mm. I don't know what that means. And I'm just nodding along and Mm. no idea. And at the time I felt like, how can, how can I know everything mm. and be that good and mm. be able to do the job and not make a mistake? But the truth is that we're all students all the time. Yes. You know, we're learning new stuff every day and that's mm. what's great about the job. Uh, I definitely think that you should just tr- accept that you're not going to know everything and just do your best. Mm. And it's good to question yourself because it's important not to be overconfident and overzealous, but mm. also just remember that we're all learning too. And, mm. you know, when you take that step from being a student to a qualified nurse, you, you're not suddenly have a world of knowledge. You mm. just, you're able to go out there and continue learning mm. just without the, the deadlines and the essays and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I always say, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. And Mm -hmm. the further you get through your studies and to work, you're like, oh, gosh, Mm -hmm. this is really complex. And and it it is a great line to be able to draw of, okay, Mm -hmm. I know enough to handle this, but I know Mm -hmm. where the line is that I need to go get help or look this up. And to be able to say that, you know, I get clients asking me things all the time and I Mm. say, I don't know. I'll Mm. find out for you. And Mm. you go and you find out and then you learn it ready for next time. I love that answer. (laughs) (laughs) Don't just wing it. Yeah, because, you know, they're going to respect your honesty far more Mm. than just trying to make it up on the spot and Mm. potentially being wrong and giving Mm. the wrong advice. Mm -hmm. Um, Or like, you know, owners can tell if you're hesitating or something. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with just saying, I I don't know, but Mm. I will find out for you. And then getting back to them. And when you call them back and tell them, then they're going to know that what you're telling them is right. And I think that that could remove some of the anxiety for the student vet nurse or the junior vet nurse going, how the hell am I going to know all this? And Mm. the answer is, well, you're not. And sometimes you're going to say, give me your phone number. I'm going to find out and I'll call you later today. Absolutely. You're you're not going to know everything. And not even the best vets in the world know everything. No. And they wouldn't claim to. And before you know it, you're having a conversation with someone and Mm. there's a student nurse that has no idea what you're talking Mm. about because Mm -hmm. before you know it, all the terminology just becomes part of your language as well it does you get there eventually yeah (laughs) and are there any bad or old recommendations that you hear as a vet nurse and these could be recommendations that are being made by colleagues or clients recommendations that you feel like need to be replaced with more useful or more modern information I think um neutering animals is such an important thing to me there Mm. are too many animals that are don't have a home too many animals are breeding unnecessarily mm-hmm. and owners seem to have this idea that's been passed down that they should allow animals to have their first season or to have their first litter before they get them neutered mm-hmm. and I'm I, it's just not true mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I think it's obviously it does depend on one case to another but I think it, it generally especially with cats um mm-hmm. you know allowing them to have that first season they're probably going to be pregnant by the time you spay them um, or allowing them to have that first litter. I do try to say to owners what an ordeal it actually is for them to have a litter. Um, it's not just one baby mm. <laughs> and the risks are high and it's just not necessary when there's so many animals that need a home. And I think as much as possible, just trying to get owners to realize that breeding animals is not best always Mm, that's right yeah exactly I think that that's a really a really good Mm. good thing to be trying to turn around and to to bust that myth I guess with with the public and and education is is what it's all about which starts with the vet nurse and 
Before I jump into just the final few questions, I wanted to just quickly go back to some of your volunteer experiences because I think a lot of vet nurses would love to do what you've done and be traveling overseas. And I'm just looking at the list and there's Cambodia and Thailand and um, all sorts of cool things you've done and, and a lot of work with elephants. And I was looking online at this last night and when you try and look at how to get involved in these experiences, I think that I could see a few instances where they were selling an experience online to a tourist, but I wasn't sure if that experience was actually liberating um, an elephant from exploitation or just Mm. trading, strapping a steel cage to its back and making it carry people around for, hey, have photos with the tourists while they sponge you down for a few days. And like, are they still, are they actually, you know, in a better place? Is their situation any better? And I know this from when I went to Thailand as well and and I was trying to find one of these places that I could go and that I could, you know, direct my tourist dollar to that was sustainable and positive, but the driver won't necessarily take you there because they're getting a kickback to take you to the place, you know, down the road from there. How do you invest your money and your time and make sure that you're not just part of this cycle of exploitation, just looking a little different? Honestly, it's, incredibly difficult to differentiate because I feel like more and more tour guides and tourist operations are realizing that that we want stuff that's better for the animals Mm -hmm. so they try to advertise themselves there's a lot of places like elephant tracking companies advertise themselves as sanctuaries and Mm -hmm. they're, they're learning the key words that bring in the tourists that their heart's in the right place but they don't realize they're supporting a really bad trade um, it's really difficult to tell the difference. I think the best way is to look up a volunteering one and look up reviews, try to see if anyone's been there and see what they've said. And the other thing is just try not to go for the really expensive ones is another thing I would say, because generally if they're charging you all this money, I don't know if it's all going to the animals. You have to do a lot of research but I'd say most of it is word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Like I always try to, whenever I go somewhere, I always look out for places and talk to people and ask, you know, what are they getting out of it? And, and try to find out exactly what the itinerary is. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be riding the elephants or is it just, you know, and quite often they will tell you. Um, but for sure, any kind of trekking or anything like that is just, it's terrible for the elephants. Mm. And there aren't that many sanctuaries but they are slowly coming up ones that actually are like retirement homes for these Mm -hmm. working elephants um there's a few that i've managed to find but usually it's been through word of mouth yeah Mm -hmm. and i should say too we're gonna put um i'll I'll put a link in the show notes as well to to some contact details for rebecca um and and potential ideas on on where people can travel or places that she's been to that that she can definitely give a thumbs up for and um, i'm sure that there there are so many people that just don't know where to start so that'll be really helpful so getting back on track with our home stretch of questions um in what ways do you look after your mental well-being and prevent compassion fatigue? As a as I've always been a locum, I think I've found it a little bit easier to to leave things at work mm-hmm. and not take it home with me. Um, I think the cases themselves, you can't help but feel, feel like you know feel emotional about it when you get home. Mm-hmm. But at least you don't have so much the practice politics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, just try to try to remember that you're always doing what's best for the animal mm-hmm. um and when when you can just just remind yourself that and if you know you've done everything you can do then there's no use fretting over it once you get home you've got to leave it at work and be ready for whichever animal comes in the next day mm-hmm. i think going back to what we talked about about having just like for me just having some rebecca time yeah. <laughs> and you know doing something that's nothing to do with animals sometimes Mm. um helps me a lot like I make jewelry or something like that and it's Mm -hmm. just it's just using my hands and it's all I have to think about in that moment and it's not a huge amount of responsibility and Mm. I listen to some music and just let it go Mm. and you try and do that every day if you can you Mm. could read a newspaper read a book 
just something that allows you to relax and not think about the day mm. I think it's the best thing you could do I and think that's fantastic advice <laughs> mm. and definitely hobbies yeah <laughs> lots of hobbies yeah go for that run go for that walk yeah because yeah. I think a lot of people you get with the hours we do sometimes you end up having no time for anything else mm. but it's so important you know mm. go out for dinner with your friends or get away at the weekend and do some hikes or mm. something anything that's just not about work all mm. the time if mm-hmm. it's not your life and it's something that you choose to do each day then it's a lot easier mm. that's it and if you feel overwhelmed about work or about life what do you do um i usually will write it down mm-hmm. so i'll if i have a problem i'll write down what the problem is and why it's a problem mm-hmm. and ways to overcome it and then how i can put it into action you know, just bullet points for myself, even if it's just a to-do list. It's amazing. <laughs> I've never done that before, but oh, it helps. Yeah. It really helps because sometimes you're sitting there and you're like, I have this and then this, this and then there's that and it's just all too much. And, you know, it's, and it seems like a lot, but once you write it down, you can really visualize it. And even if you write it down and then go have a cup of tea and don't think about it for two mm. days, but it's down and you will get to it. And then you, you don't feel guilty or like, oh, I, I've still got to do that. And I haven't done mm-hmm. anything about that. Just write it down and break it down into small pieces. And then mm. it won't seem so big anymore. And you are literally getting it out of your head and yeah. onto paper. And breaking things down into small pieces is one of my favorite things to do. That's mm-hmm. how I handle anytime I'm like, I've got a million jobs and mm-hmm. I love list writing, but I haven't <laughs> yes. combined that ever into this bigger picture of, okay, what's this thing that's bothering me? Mm. I'm going to map it out and I'm going to mm-hmm. put it all on paper. And then once you've got it almost like off your shoulders, you can then go, okay, now I'm knocking off brain and I'm having a cup of tea. Yep. I'm not, I'm not dismissing this. It's on the paper. Back We're coming it. back to it. And <laughs> yeah. I really like that. Yeah. yeah. It really helps. And then it doesn't seem so big and, and, foreboding anymore yeah um, and this isn't even an a4 page (laughs) yeah exactly and yeah it just it helps because it's like talking to someone obviously Mm. if you could talk to someone it's another Mm. great thing to do um but i'm I'm always on the go so it's Mm. not always possible to talk to someone about it um so i think yeah writing it down or yeah, writing it down. Mm. I think is the best thing. And sometimes when you try and talk to people about it, they try and come up with solutions, mm. and yeah. you're like, "I don't want a solution, damn it! <laughs> yes. I just want to, to moan. Yeah. <laughs> just, just look at me with sympathy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an unfixable problem. Yeah, so leave it with me. I know. Uh, you're like, I'm going to come up with a solution. I just need to talk to someone about it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, that's a great tip. And what do you think is the main area of our industry that needs attention or improvement? Waste. I think mm. um, having worked over in Asia for so long and I would daily do beach cleans and bring mm-hmm. in 50, 60 rubbish sacks of rubbish mm-hmm. every day, mm-hmm. um, underwater cleanups. It's just so, it was suddenly so apparent to me mm-hmm. how bad the situation is mm-hmm. around the world. Mm-hmm. And we're just as bad here polluting. We just cover it up better. Yeah. And by here, I mean, you know, first world countries yeah. and you know, and then I came back and I, I went to work and suddenly I was like just baffled by what I'd never seen before. You mm. know, so much, so much waste because mm. we have to keep it sterile and we yeah. have to use a new syringe for every animal, mm. which I agree with. But mm. it's it's so much waste and we don't generally don't recycle. Mm. Most practices I work in, they barely recycle the boxes that, mm. you know, the order comes in, mm-hmm. let alone separating your autoclave bags the plastic mm. from the paper and and mm-hmm. doing your bit to try to recycle it just mm-hmm. all goes in the bin mm-hmm. and then where does that go we don't we don't worry about it mm, you're right it's depressing sometimes to perform one procedure and you look around and there is just packet upon packet upon packet or yep. you use something once and you're like well that actually can't be used again and yep. the same with um disposable gowns and disposable mm-hmm. drapes i mean we haven't made the move into those because mm-hmm. and i know you know you're still washing detergent down the drain by washing them but Mm. I just putting it in the bin it's like and why aren't we creating syringes and and things like that that can't be recycled mm -hmm. you know old school yeah yeah exactly if we can't re-sterilize it maybe 
all the syringes go into one bin and there's a company that will take that, melt it down and create new mm. ones or something. Mm-hmm. It's it's not it's not excusable at all. I know I I'm, don't want to transfer disease or anything, no. but <laughs> but at the same time, I'm just it was very hard to deal with when I came back. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I wish that would change. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good one and one that I hadn't thought of, but absolutely, absolutely, mm. there's so much. And if it's any consolation, human hospitals are even worse, oh, I believe. I'm so sure they are. <laughs> I'm so sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been great chatting to you. I have one more question for you, Becca, and then I'm going to let you go. So if you could reach out and thank a mentor who has helped you in your career and your personal development in the veterinary industry, who would it be and what would you say? Um, I don't really have just one person, yeah. but rather a place I worked. Um, I ended up my training at Battersea Dogs and Cats Home in London, mm-hmm. which is a big rehoming shelter for cats and dogs. And I had, I was, I'd say two thirds of the way through my training and I'd had a pretty rough time at a couple of practices before that. And my confidence was at an all time low and I didn't even know if I wanted to continue. And I felt like the worst nurse in the world. I hadn't, I felt like I couldn't get anything right. I'd worked in private practices in very rich areas and you have to bend over backwards for the clients. And, and I just had no idea what I, whether I wanted to be in this anymore. And then my university sent me to a new placement and it was Battersea Dogs and Cats Home and they just rebuilt me. It was mm. an incredible place to work. It, suddenly there was no clients because the animals were surrendered to us to be rehomed and everything we did was for the benefit of the animal. We could make the decisions. We didn't have to worry about clients and costs and things like that. Obviously costs, but I mean, we weren't billing anyone. And the people were so supportive. My colleagues, they were wonderful. And yeah, they just completely rebuilt me from zero up. And when I left there, I just had my confidence back. Mm. And I'm so grateful to them for that. I'm so grateful to them too. And it sounds like a perfect world where you're just doing things for the benefit of your patient and it's not so complicated anymore. And how great to have a really positive group of people around you to put you back together and <laughs> yeah. reboost your confidence. And yeah. and how different would things have been if you weren't able to be this gypsy vet nurse traveling <laughs> around know. the world? My life would be so different. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm grateful to them too. And hopefully they might even hear this. And... Yeah, you never know. That would yeah. be wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been so good catching up with you. And I'm really glad I ended up having your <laughs> resume hit my email and glad to meet you in the flesh. And um, thanks for joining me on Radio Vetness. Thank you for having me. Cheers, Becca. Thanks for listening to Radio Vetness, the podcast. To help us make more free episodes, subscribe and leave a review. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Radio Vetness or drop in at radiovetness.com.